Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Today, we're coming back to our favorite topic. Oh, let me guess. It must be solutions. Well, yeah, but... Before you have solutions, you have to be able to look at evidence and, when necessary, change your mind about how to solve a problem. And, you know, we love people who've been brave enough to change their minds. Or who help us change our minds. Our guest today is a passionate environmentalist who radically changed her mind about how best to save the planet. Learning to love nuclear power? Xeon Lights. The same environmentalists that point to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reports on climate change and say, look, these reports have a 99% consensus that climate change is human driven. Those same reports have nuclear energy in them as one of the methods for bringing down our emissions, one of the essential methods. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Zeon Lights has done a lot in a few short years. She's a writer, environmental activist, and poet, and a mother of two. She wrote a book called The Ultimate Guide to Green Parenting and was once called Britain's Greenest Mum. She's also an elected local politician. And for a time, Zeon Lights was a spokesperson for Extinction Rebellion, which is a group of radical climate change activists who use disruptive types of civil disobedience to get their message across. They are for eco-austerity and against nuclear power and other high-tech ways of dealing with our climate crisis. But then she changed her mind. And that's the topic of this podcast. Today, Xeon runs a pro-nuclear environmental group called Emergency Reactor. She joins us from Exeter, which is a city in southwest England. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thanks for having me. When it comes to having a climate-friendly lifestyle, you and your kids walk the walk, don't you? Tell us about your carbon footprint? I suppose we do walk the walk. We've had very low carbon lifestyles for a long time. This is something that, you know, the environmental movement really heavily pushes. So for a long time, I used to kind of push that message. I don't so much anymore. And I don't actually think it's as important as people like to make out. But, um, you know, we don't 
drive and you know we haven't eaten meat in a long time made a lot of kind of environmentally conscious decisions and yeah it's uh you know I wrote a book to mostly to help other parents to make those decisions if they want to particularly because a lot of the competing books you know in that area of green parenting are very um non-evidence-based and I wanted to write something that had a bit of research behind it. As part of your environmental advocacy, you became involved with a group called Extinction Rebellion, and you were the editor of their newspaper, among other things. Our American listeners might not be as familiar with that group. Can can you tell us a little bit about it? Extinction Rebellion is a group that was founded here in the UK and quickly took off all around the world by causing disruption to the general public in order to get their message across about wanting to fix climate change and also wanting system change. So they existed in autumn 2018, but I wasn't involved then. And no one really knew who they were until the following year in April when they did what they called their first big rebellion. And they shut down five sites around London, big roads. They went and shut really big roads. And that made headlines all around the world, which helped to get you know, climate change on the agenda. And I always say that, actually, I was talking about climate change for years before that, and it was very hard to get a platform. And Extinction Rebellion, um, and, and at the same time, Fridays for the Future, really helped to shift that and move the dialogue along almost overnight, you know, with that, with the London action, which was, it, it went on for two weeks. We managed to close those roads for, for about two weeks. So it was a, a lot of reporting here in the UK about climate change. And a lot of anger, too. Those protests resulted in huge traffic jams, right? They did, yeah. Although I would say that at that point, people were very much on our side. We have had a lot of support. But since then, people have become much more frustrated with the same, you know, road blocking tactics and other, other forms of disruption. And then you yourself started having some doubt, not about the climate crisis, but how to fix it. Uh, what happened there in, with your thinking? There are a few things, really. I mean, I agree with the message on climate change, and I think we need urgent action. But I actually think that Extinction Rebellion and Fridays for the Future kind of achieved this. You know, if you look at polls now, um, concern for the environment, at least in this country, remain high, significantly high, higher than ever before. Even with the pandemic, people rate the environment and climate change higher on their list of concerns. So I think we've kind of done that. We've shifted the needle. We've got people talking about it. And I think now's the time to start talking about where do we go next? What are the solutions? Instead of continuing to worry and scare people about it, people are already worried and scared. And actually, that's not a very good place to be in. Let's let's look at solutions. So that's one reason. Um, another reason is that they it's an organisation that confuses two things, which is climate change we need action on that and the other thing is system change where they want a completely different political system now I understand that as well I understand there are lots of problems with political parties systems around the world but I think that's a very separate issue to climate change and the group has conflated the two to say we wouldn't have climate change if we didn't have the system so the system's to blame and that's the root of it but actually that doesn't help with rising temperatures we have to sort those out right now Um, we don't have time to create a whole new system so I had to step away from that when I kind of realized how much the two were entwined and that they shouldn't necessarily be. Yeah. And this idea that we need some kind of big systemic change in the, in the U.S., we often hear some of the more radical groups saying, well, you know, the problem is capitalism. We have to fix that. But you want to focus more on a get the achievable stuff done first. And as part of that focus, you took another look at nuclear power, which many environmental groups 
tend to be very suspicious about, and you'd been suspicious about, and then you started studying nuclear. What did you find? When you're a member of the environmental movement, and I was very, I've been a very active member for a long time, you just automatically are anti certain things. Um, sometimes it's vaccines, although I think that's shifting a lot. So when I wrote my book, I had a chapter on vaccines in it, and I had so much hate mail from people saying, is Big Pharma paying you to write pro-vaccine stuff? And I would say, look, it's just the same research that's in all of the book. It's all informed by research. But nuclear is like the biggest bogeyman. Nuclear is the myth that has just pervaded for so long. And I didn't question it. Um, but I got really into communicating science. I wanted to be a better climate communicator. So I went back to university and I did a master in science communication. And I started looking much more closely at uh, some of these beliefs I held about things like nuclear energy and realized that almost everything that I believed, almost everything was wrong. Almost everything about radiation, about waste, everything. And uh, I went back to these groups and I said, I've learned this thing. And I found that there was this immense immense resistance to hearing that information which was another reason that I just thought I'm not sure I can be around these people anymore and in these groups I'm not sure how much good they can do if they're in denial of science basically. What I found uh, speaking quietly to a number of thoughtful environmentalists including scientists and members of nonprofit groups is that they will tell you sort of almost in a hushed whisper, that we do need nuclear power. But many environmentalists who, in other parts of their lives, are very informed people, seem very reluctant to talk about nuclear power, which is disturbing. Mm. People sent me private messages of support saying, good on you, well done for doing this. You know, I'm not going to say it publicly, but I completely support you. That was a lot of people in Extinction Rebellion, even someone in Greenpeace who's a really major player in Greenpeace and has been arrested for the multiple times I tried to get him to actually come out and write about it and he he just would he would lose his entire you know community and peer group yeah I realized that one thing that needs to change is we need to shift it to make it acceptable for environmentalists to hold scientific views essentially you know people don't always make the connection but actually we need energy from somewhere we need it and we need to get off of fossil fuels that's it those are the basic messages give us an elevator pitch for nuclear power? The scientific consensus says that we need nuclear energy. That's it, really. It's not about opinion. It's about fact. It's just just as clear a fact as we need vaccinations, right? We need a vaccine to stop the spread of COVID. The same environmentalists that point to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reports on climate change and say, look, these reports have a 99% consensus that climate change is human driven. Those same reports have nuclear energy in them as one of the methods for bringing down our emissions, one of the essential methods. So if you look at the 2018 IPCC report, which is the report that galvanized Extinction Rebellion into existence, it gives you the decarbonization pathways. And all four pathways include nuclear energy, renewable energy, and carbon capture storage. And those are the only ways that we can bring down our emissions without fossil fuels. And that's the world's top scientists. That's 99% consensus. And to deny that is no different than saying, well, those scientists are wrong about climate change. It's not caused by humans. One argument I've been hearing in the last few years is, okay, yeah, maybe nuclear power does have certain advantages, but 
it's too expensive, it takes too long to build, and we don't really need it anymore because we have wind and solar. Let's just build wind and solar, and we don't need this, this expensive, slightly scary nuclear power. What do you say to that argument? I mean, the reason why there's a consensus that you need a combination of renewables and nuclear is because renewables can't do it alone. I would love for it to be different. I used to you know, promote renewables all the time. And I used to say, look, the storage will get better and it will and it will be able to do it with just renewables. But that was 15 years ago. And now I kind of have to recognize that hasn't really happened. We've taken it as far as we can. And unless it's a major breakthrough that fundamentally changes the laws of physics, that's not going to improve anymore. Um, the other thing is that renewables, that, that terminology includes, includes biomass. So have to, I think we need to be careful with that term renewables. It's got this really like nice sustainable imagery and it and it's really not actually biomass, mass burning of, of wood to create energy. It should not be included as a renewable resource. We've got something over here that's clean and reliable that doesn't kill 8 million a year through air pollution like fossil fuels, isn't driving climate change like fossil fuels. Why don't we just use that? And then you get to the real reasons, which is all this fear and ideology behind it that you know just it just needs to go now we're running out of time to to act on bringing down emissions and we should care more about air pollution the people who are hardest hit by air pollution often marginalized groups people who have to live near coal power plants so that we can import our our, our energy when, when we need it we wouldn't ever have a coal power plant here in the uk you can imagine the uproar if if they tried to open one here but we're happy to outsource that cost to poorer people in other countries all of this has got to change you know we drove climate change we did it. The, the wealthy nations did it. It's on us, really, to, to sort it out, to fix it. And and just being against one of the solutions, kind of because we don't like it, it's just it's just baffling and immoral. And I, I can't say it enough, really. I have friends who I respect, who I love, who are anti-nuclear power, and they worry about waste. Talk about that, that nuclear waste is around for thousands of years and is dangerous. I used to be worried about waste. I used to be very scared of waste. I started to realize that, yeah, a lot of my ideas about waste were, actually all of my ideas about waste are wrong. It does require storing for a long time, it does. But I mean, it's stored in the ground anyway, right? So what we do is we take it out of the ground, we deplete quite a lot of that life and then we bury it again. So long as it's done well and it's managed well, that's, that's definitely where our focus should be. But it is managed well because it's never harmed anyone. Show me the data where 8 million people a year die because of nuclear waste, because you know what? Fossil fuels are killing that many people with just the air pollution numbers. The thing that really convinced me, the best uh, example is Fukushima, because when the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant melted down because of a tsunami, that power plant was hit by a tsunami and an earthquake, and there was waste stored on site in these big concrete canisters, and it wasn't even damaged I mean, to me, that is like the worst case scenario happened and it still didn't hurt anyone. And no one was hurt from the power plant. They died because of the tsunami and the earthquake, but not from the power plant. This is How Do We Fix It? Our conversation is with Xeon Lights. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim May. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Thanks. Next, we speak with Zion about her personal background as the daughter of immigrants who moved to England from a small village in India as well as her perspective on the urgency of combating climate change. For well over a decade, Zion was on the front lines at protests and other events in the UK. You're split from a certain type of radical environmentalism. It's not just about nuclear power. You also feel that some extreme greens don't care enough about the welfare of actual human beings, especially in the developing world. Tell us about that. So this is something that I had to kind of find my voice on, you know, over the years, because I've been involved in these groups for a long time. So for me, the motivation was always, I want a habitable planet for my children and their children and everyone's children. And over time, I realized actually for some people, they care more about trees. For some people, they care more about the animals that are going extinct than people. And actually, a lot of it is because they blame people. And that's where I would say that I I moved away from those groups and the way they think because I don't think it's fair to blame people for wanting a better quality of life and the reason we burned those fossil fuels wasn't just because we were wanting to trash the planet no one wanted that we did it because it enabled us to have a high quality of life you know and if you look at how we live in these wealthy nations that burn the fossil fuels we have infrastructure we have you know roads we have the ability to get to a hospital that doesn't isn't going to suffer a blackout um, we have healthcare and education, all the things that come with having a high quality of life. And there are billions of people in the world that they don't have this high quality of life. They're, they're energy poor. And I've always known this because my parents migrated to the UK in the 60s from a little village in India, middle of nowhere, no electricity, you know, and they're, they're poor and they're energy poor. And they left their entire families behind. They left their everyone they knew behind to get on a little boat. And they were offered jobs here. There was a big industrial boom, lots of factories at the time needing workers. They were offered jobs and they literally just got on this boat. They didn't even know where Britain was on a map. They couldn't speak English. They didn't hadn't had any education, but they left it all behind because they didn't want that for their children. They wanted their children to have opportunities. They wanted their children to survive past their fifth birthday, right? They wanted them to have vaccinations and everything that we have, all the healthcare and the education, all the opportunities we have. And so they left and they came over here because we have that. And I think actually now we take that for granted when we kind of we're energy rich and we kind of go, wow, we should use less. You know, yeah, sure. Right. We shouldn't be wasteful. We shouldn't be wasteful in general. But actually, we're still going to need a lot of energy. It's not enough just to have solar and wind. And I've even talked to environmentalists who said, well, it's OK if we have blackouts. We just have the solar and wind when it's there. But that's that's really a, a privileged position that someone who is energy rich has because they can't imagine what it's like to, to live through a blackout. And you know what? More people will die in a blackout than from any nuclear disaster ever. 
that's the reality, right? What happens when your hospitals don't work? What happens when all your lights go out at night and you can't access emergency services? And that is how billions of people live in the world today. And who is standing up for them? Because if you look at the charts of what's going to happen in this warming world, it is the global south that are going. Like they are going to have to live in temperatures that the human body can't handle. That's not alarmist. That's the science. And what's the reaction when this argument is made? I get a lot of flack for saying it, you know, but I was part of these groups for a long time and I really think they need to move away from that thinking. And if they really believe that, go and live in a poor country. Go ahead. You can give up your electricity. Don't tell other people that they don't get to have it. That's just wrong. It's a big ask, isn't it? Asking people to change their minds, to change a core view about the world. You change your mind. Could you help people? Could you give some advice about being open-minded? I think what I would say is just have the conversations. And this was very similar with climate change. I was having those conversations and I was coming up against a lot of denial. But I would find that people who would say, no, I read something that said it's just the sun and it's a cycle. I'd find that when I'd actually sit and talk to them, they'd be quite easily convinced. And those one-to-one conversations make a big difference, or even group conversations. We did hammer the science and it shifted so many more people. And a lot of those people were complacent and they just kind kind of had conspiracies in their head. But when you challenged them, they went, oh, maybe I'm wrong. And what about now? with your pro-nuclear activism. We've been going out and holding stalls in like big cities, in popular locations, handing out bananas, big posters about nuclear energy. People always do a double take because when they see nuclear, they automatically think you're anti. So they come over and actually, the last one we did in London before it kind of got cold, we did it a couple of months ago, uh, centre of London, we found um, we had queues. So there were about 15 volunteers They're handing out bananas. Let's talk about radiation. Let's talk about waste. And we had queues of people waiting to ask us questions. I literally had people just say, it's bad, but I don't know why I think that. And it was very similar to conversations I'd had about vaccines where people got fears, but they don't know why. And about climate change where they had these weird theories, but they didn't know why. And you just present them very simply with what the evidence for whatever their concern is. Sometimes it's radiation. Sometimes it's waste. Sometimes it's something like completely right, like someone was talking to me about plutonium and had loads of stuff mixed up in his head. And I just explained it and we give leaflets so go away and check the data yourselves. And those people would actually actively say, well, I guess I am pro then as they walked away. It's actually that simple. Um, Just have the conversations. You're a mother of two. What do you tell your children about climate change? My children know all about climate change. They understand that I'm working really hard to try and make things better. And they're quite positive about it, to be honest. They've somehow escaped the eco-anxiety that the kids have. And I think it's probably because they only think of it in terms of solutions, because those are the only discussions we have. I've never just had a conversation and left it at, like, here's the doom and gloom. Um, so I don't really worry about them. And I actually think, you know all the people in the world, they, they're they probably going to be some of the better off, right? Because we have a lot of infrastructure to protect us. And it's actually going to be harder for them, I think, to see what's happening to people in other countries who we can't help. So we do, we talk about that a lot. We talk about solutions for people in other countries too. And they're, they're very positive about it. And I'm sure that they will inherit this problem and they will try to help to fix it too. But I'm just trying to reduce their workload at this point, I think. <laughs> 
in addition to your environmental interests, you are also an amateur stargazer, and you have a lovely uh, TEDx talk about some of your experiences looking through telescopes and fields out in the countryside. What does looking into the heavens tell you about life here on Earth? So I won't claim to have experienced the overview effect. I don't know if you know what this is. It's this uh, thing that astronauts experience when they get to see Earth from a distance and they say it just sort of puts all of the universe into perspective. But I think if you stargaze enough, you can get somewhere near there. And because I have had these moments, almost like epiphanies of looking out and just going, well, we really are just floating. We're just a floating ball in, in in a vacuum, in a big big empty space and this is it from cultures all over the world like there was no culture that didn't do this they would tell stories using the stars about humanity and our place in the universe and and that you know we should be together and that we should stick together because this is all we've got and I think we've lost those stories and we've forgotten but you know any day you can get out and do a good bit of stargazing and really like just no devices no artificial lights just look up it's just you now and 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 just balls of mass, you know, millions of miles away, can really, I think, help to click into something that's very there on an almost foundational level for humans, which is that we are all together and connected. And we either, you know, survive this together or we don't. Xeon lights, stargazer, nuclear power enthusiast, Thanks very much for joining us on How Do We Fix It? And next, a recommendation. Richard, what do you have for us today in the recommendation department? Given that Xeon Lights changed her mind, um, I've been trying to change my mind about reading serious literature. And in the past year, I've been on a bit of a tear. I started with Dante's Inferno and then Purgatorio and Paradiso and then went on to a couple of... You went for all three. Wow, the trifecta. Yeah. Almost nobody does that. (laughs) Yeah. And then then I went on to Virgil's Aeneid and more recently I've I've, uh, gone to Homer's Iliad and then Odyssey. And I guess my recommendation is challenge yourself. Challenge yourself with something that's uncomfortable or difficult that may help you change your mind about something. Well, it's nice to have a conversation about culture that isn't just, what TV show are you binging this week? Speaking of changing my mind, I have this in common with Xeon Lights. In the past few years, both of us changed our minds about the need for nuclear power. I think of myself as an environmentalist, but in social and political movements, it's easy to make sweeping judgments about the things we're against without asking difficult questions. And that's what I did with nuclear until quite recently. I didn't question my beliefs. Now I think that we really need to throw everything at the wall to reduce emissions. And that includes new innovations on things such as nuclear power. 
Right. New innovation is great. But the fact is, we know how to build perfectly good, safe, reliable nuclear plants right now. And we have a lot that are running that some activists are trying to shut down. I mean, you and I both live or you live part time in the New York metro area. Our nuclear plant, Indian Point, got shut down earlier this year. We were promised that wind and solar would pick up the slack and everything would be fine. But in fact, our carbon emissions in this area have shot up dramatically. So at a time we're all worried about climate New York State is going backwards in terms of climate. Let's please get together and agree that that's not a good thing. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and this show is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Find out more at our website, DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.